We're launching a brand new series this morning. This is week one of our brand new series, Soundtrack. And we're trying to answer, we're trying to navigate this simple question, what does your life sound like? In case you didn't know, your life has a sound that precedes and follows you everywhere you go. As some people might say, man, you just have this aura about you. As some people might say, man, there's just something about you. Oh, here's the word that's popular in our culture today. It's, man, your energy. That's really kind of new agey to me. So I don't personally use the word energy. That's just me. It just spooks me out. But the word, the word of God uses words like fragrance. How many of you realize you got a, a fragrance to you? I ain't talking about that natural body odor. <laughs> we all got that. We got that natural fragrance that precedes us and follows us everywhere we go. And then some of us like to enhance that natural fragrance like Pastor Jesse still rocking his brute by Fabergé. Come on, Doc. That's classic. Anybody rock some brute back in the day? Anybody brute? Nobody will admit it. I see one hand. You had that brute? How about you? How many of y'all had that Dracar Noir? Come on, somebody right there. Come on, somebody. Huh? How many of y'all had that jupe? Cool water. Huh? Some of y'all had that curve. Come on, somebody. How many of y'all had that polo? Ralph Lauren? English leather. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Old Spice. Pastor Jesse been dabbling with that musk. You all know that? <laughs> Listen, we all have a fragrance. And the scripture says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. Thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph and causes the fragrance of his knowledge to be diffused through us. You know what that means? That we are carriers of the fragrance of God. That means everywhere we go with how we live, our witness and our testimony, the fragrance of God should be evident. But Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 because the scripture doesn't only make reference to our lifestyle as salt and light and the fragrance of God. Paul takes it up a couple notches and he says that there is a sound or may I say a soundtrack. Come on, come on somebody to your life. Where all my music heads? Come on, come on. Anybody enjoy some good music? Listen, I was in the army back in the mid-90s, man. And in the 90s, I was really careful about my witness. I'm still careful about my witness today. But when I was in the army, all the people in my unit, man, you know, they were, they were, they were, you know, they were living wild. Yeah. They were living like heathens. But I made a commitment that I would honor Christ with my witness. Not to be holier than thou. In fact, as a result of that, there are four young men who still serve Jesus today because of my witness. But I still remember back in the 90s, man, it seemed like every time I talked to my buddies, they were going to the PX. Where, where all my military dudes, Patrick. They were, yeah, yeah, right there, right there. And ladies, military. They were going to the PX, man, and this is what they were doing. Because every movie that came out, man, as soon as that soundtrack dropped, and I don't know what it was about the 90s, man. There was some, some bad movie soundtracks in 
the 90s. Can I take y'all back a, a, a little bit? Y'all ready, ready for this? Anybody remember that Set It Off soundtrack? Come on, somebody. Y'all remember Jada at the end of the movie driving, driving down that Mexican coastline? And you got, you got, you got that flashback. She's thinking about Blair Underwood is standing in the bank window like that. Y'all remember that? And Jada rolling in that Jeep down the Mexican coastline. Y'all remember what song was playing? Come on, somebody. You see, y'all ain't always be saved. I, I see. I see. And, and, and Jada's rolling down that, that, that highway and, and, and that music's playing in the background, man. And anybody remember that Bodyguard soundtrack, though? That was, ooh, Whitney, man. Y'all remember that, that scene where she's about to get on the jet and, and, and Kevin Costner standing there and, and then she turned around and just ran into. <laughs> well, was that I want to run to you? I want to run to you. Look, soundtracks, man. Look, 90s had some bad, bad soundtracks. Then she came back after Bodyguard. Y'all remember that? Without waiting to exhale. That was baby facing his prime, man. Whitney was like, shoot, shoot, shoot. Or the Tony Braxton. Or the Tony Braxton. What, what, what was that one? Banana. Uh, hey, Y'all get the point, right? Y'all, y'all, see, I know what y'all gonna do when y'all driving home. But download all the soundtracks. We're gonna talk about that because uh, your life is a soundtrack that proceeds and follows you everywhere you go. And that is especially true in the context of relationships. And we want to talk about that a little bit because in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we know this to be the love chapter. But Paul begins this chapter with these words. He says, check this out, man. If I, if I could speak with the tongue of men's and, men and angels, man, and I have not love, I'm, 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 I'm quoting this from the New King James, right? But he says, all I have become is sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. Somebody say soundtrack. What Paul is saying is a life void of the love of God makes a whole lot of noise. And so I believe what the Lord is inviting us into is this journey of self-examination and to begin to ask ourselves, what does my life sound like? if I'm not choosing to walk in love. Because there's a whole lot of things we could say. In fact, there's a whole lot of things we could do. But if they're void of love, my life has become one loud, annoying sound. That becomes a sound that doesn't attract people. It becomes a sound that people avoid. I'm of the firm conviction there's only two kinds of people in the world, y'all. Right? When people see you coming, they go, oh, there she is. Or when they see you coming, oh, snap, here they come. The reason for that is because of the soundtrack of our life. And God, in the context of relationships, does not want for us to be sounding brass or a clanging 
symbol. How many of you just like a whole lot of noise in your house? Now, now sometimes noise, let me, let me tell you this. When the house is quiet, I have a really hard time studying the word. But when I have background noise, like if Levi's playing, and it's weird, I could just concentrate better when there's some kind of sound around me. So there's some people, like myself, who need sound in order to concentrate and focus and lock in. There's some of y'all in this room, y'all can't sleep without that fan on. Y'all got to have that white noise, background noise. I'm talking about the kind of sound that is meaningless. It serves no purpose. And what God wants us to avoid, listen, listen, as we begin to examine the soundtrack of our lives, is have I become sounding brass and a clanging cymbal? Now, notice he's writing these words not to a secular audience. He's writing these words to the church. In fact, let's read it together. Let's read it from the message paraphrase because I like the way it reads. Are y'all tracking so far? We're going to examine the soundtrack of our lives. In fact, I've chosen this week uh, to title this message Life Song because everybody has a life song. Anybody remember uh, the animated movie that came out uh, probably about 10 years ago called Happy Feet? Uh, for those of you who, have, uh, who had young children then, or maybe your kids are 10, 11, 12, now you remember that you probably took them to see Happy Feet. And the whole premise of the movie is actually uh, based in science, that penguins have what's called a heart song. And it is their heart song that attracts them to their partner. Because the penguin starts to sing this heart song, and another penguin in the midst of hundreds, maybe thousands of penguins who have migrated, right, connect over a song. Listen to me, you have a life song. Now, the interesting thing about this movie is the plot says that, that, that as, as Mumble's uh, mom is carrying him because they have to carry the, the egg between their, their feet, it's the dad. I'm sorry, the dad carries the egg, and, 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 and he drops the egg, and the egg gets a little crack in it. So instead of Mumble having a heart song, his heart song comes out in his feet. So Mumble can't sing to save his life, but Mumble can sure dance. Right? His life song was not what he could articulate with his voice, but what he gave expression through his feet. And the truth is, we all have a life song. We're going to take some time to examine what our life song may sound like now and what it should sound like. Because our life song determines, listen to me, our life song determines whether we are attracting people or if people are avoiding us because we've become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. Are y'all tracking with me so far? We're talking about a life that is attractive and that God can use for his divine purpose. So here we go from the message paraphrase, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. He says, if I speak with human elegance and angelic ecstasy, but I don't love, I'm nothing, listen, but the creaking of a rusty gate. 
And he goes on to say, if I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I ain't nothing. Pardon my grammar. And he goes on to say, if I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've, got, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, my words, no matter what I believe, my faith, and no matter what I do, my actions, I am bankrupt without love. Listen, we're talking about how to win in relationships. And what Paul is suggesting here is the onus is not on them. The onus is on us and what we will bring to the relationship. And it begins, it begins with love. Now, now let me just again set the backdrop. Paul is writing these words to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth came behind in no spiritual gift. In fact, here was the tension and here was the paradox. Here was the, the sort of the irony of the church in Corinth. They were spiritual, but they were selfish. They were charismatic, but they lacked character. They could preach. They had great faith. There were manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit happening in their midst. But they hated each other. And so Paul is writing specifically to this church, and he's saying, yeah, man, I know y'all can preach. I know y'all got scripture memorized. I know you walk in the power of God. I know you flow in prophetic gifts and signs and wonders. But that means absolutely nothing if it's not motivated by love. And he says the foundation of every interpersonal relationship, listen to me, every interpersonal transaction with another human being should be motivated by love and love only. I struggled with the text because I said, God, that's a noble thing, right? For me to give up my body to be burned as a martyr for a transcendent cause, for something that matters to me, God, that should count for something if I give up all my possessions to the poor. But it still goes back to love. Listen to me. Uh, several of you posted this this uh, this week on Facebook, and it it's something to the effect of, uh, uh, "I don't watch words anymore. I don't listen to words anymore. I watch actions." And that's true. To a certain extent. Because actions do speak louder than words, but motive speaks louder than actions. Let's pump the brakes right there for a second. Because what we have confused with love is actions. And can I just make it crystal clear for you? Not everything that someone does, no matter how good and noble it may seem on the surface, if it's not motivated by love, if it's motivated by something other than love, it has 
absolutely no eternal benefit. Maybe you got your way, but that's what the scripture calls manipulation. That when my actions get me what I want from somebody else, and it's motivated by something other than love, a genuine care and concern for that person. So y'all ready for this? I'm going to drop some truth bombs on you. Because what Paul says is you can give up your body to be burned and it profits you absolutely nothing if it's not motivated by love. You can give all your possessions to the poor. And if what you're looking for is a pat on the back or you're looking for a plaque on the wall, the scripture says you've received your reward already and it has profited you nothing. So y'all ready? Here we go. I'll say it again. Actions speak louder than words, but motives speak louder than actions. And if the soundtrack of our lives hmm, is motivated by something other than love, it's time for us to pump the brakes and reevaluate it, reevaluate the posture and the inclination of our hearts. Second thought. Whew. Are your actions driven by your agenda or authenticity? The friendships that you think you must have, the people that you pursue, the relationships you desire, are you pursuing those relationships simply because it is a means to an end that you're going to use this relationship to get ahead or is it motivated by authenticity, a genuine concern and care for that person? Not because of what they can do for you, but maybe because of what you can do for them. And listen to me, there are people all around the community, all around our city who got into relationships that were agenda driven. The problem is agenda-driven relationships always backfire because they have a shelf life and they have an expiration date. That's what the scripture says. He says, if my relationships, my interactions are not motivated by authenticity and it's motivated by an agenda, and listen to me, the church, Christian folk, we've mastered the art of manipulation. When you know in your heart, all you want, all you want is a hookup. You could care less about that person. You could care less about their family. What motivates you is what they can do for you. Uh, here's another one. Here's another. Are you here? Y'all ready for this? Agenda-driven relationships quickly become unhealthy attachments. Because the thing that brought y'all together was not authenticity, it was deception. It was half-truths and manipulation. And some of y'all took somebody home, called them your wife, and it was driven, your husband or wife, and it was driven by an agenda. I sat with a young couple the last year, and the whole time, man, couple is as cute as all get out. And the whole time I'm sitting with them, something on the inside of me is just troubled. Because every time they say something about their wedding, when it's going to be, it's 
quickly compared to what else her, what her friend is doing. Yeah, so-and-so's getting married here, but I'm getting married, and they're getting married at this date. Oh, but we're going to get married at... There are people who are making decisions every day, relational decisions, that are simply motivated by one-upping somebody else. Well, here's the deal. I ain't going to be the last one to get married out of this bunch. So I'm going to find the first cock-eyed man that give me any kind of attention. No, not, not cock-eyed. Okay, okay, my bad. Listen to me. If your relationships are driven by your agenda, your selfish agenda, it will quickly become an unhealthy attachment. Can I tell you the problem with unhealthy attachments? That's what he's talking about right here in 1 Corinthians 13. He's talking about a church that was very spiritual, but they didn't even love each other. Let me tell you why agenda-driven relationships <laughs> become unhealthy attachments. Y'all ready for this one? Here it is. When the agenda or when your agenda doesn't produce the desired result, it will be revealed over time by the toxic attitude that develops. Listen to me. I'm talking about when your agenda doesn't turn out the way you thought it would, when your manipulation doesn't produce the results, the results you desire. Let me, let me tell you what results. A very toxic attitude. Because I thought this thing was going to turn out one way. I thought this is what this relationship would do for me. It ain't doing that. Now, a couple of things will happen. Either the relationship ends or people live through toxic attitudes that endure. Are y'all listening to what I'm saying? And so Paul says, if my life, if my life and my relationships are not motivated by a genuine concern for other people, let me, let me tell you, simply because God loves them. One of the mantras we have in our house, people matter to God, so people matter to me. So I will value and esteem everyone as valuable and precious. Not because of what it can do for me but because everyone matters to God. This is an opportunity, listen to me, for us to pump the brakes on our agenda-driven relationships. Yeah. So here he says, here he says, here it is, here it is, here it is. Uh, this is what happens. The relationship quickly goes toxic because my agenda doesn't produce the desired result. And here it is, here it is. Y'all ready for this one? Here's why that's critical. Adversity is the litmus test for authenticity. You're not listening to me in this Presbyterian church this morning. Let me tell you something. The scripture says a brother is born for adversity. Hey! And a friend loves at all times. A friend. Most of what y'all calling friends ain't no friend at all. Because friendship, the true measure of friendship, the true litmus test of friendship is where this, what happens to this thing now when we, when we, when we, when we experience adversity. Are y'all listening to me? 
And if my friendship cannot endure the test of adversity, was it friendship to begin with? Was it authentic to begin with? Or was it driven by an agenda that's not producing the results that I need right now? So we move on to the next thing. We move on to the next one. We move on to the next thing. We move on to the next one. And this permeates every kind of relationship we have. It happens in marriage, unfortunately. For those of you who insist on having a trophy wife, you married her just because you wanted to have the finest woman in the group. I know this for a fact. Because Pastor Wendy and I have sat across couples where the motivating factor, but man, she's fine. Now listen, we've been talking about Xerxes, and I'm even tempted to go back to Xerxes right now. But when you consider the interaction that Xerxes had with Vashti, listen to me, it was all transactional. Listen to me, Xerxes has a stable of concubines. But out of that stable of concubines, he chooses one of them, the most pretty one, to put the crown on her head. I got this whole stable right here. Yeah, but you're kind of special. So I'm going to give you the crown. By the way, don't get it twisted. This ain't about affection for you, Vashti. This is just an arrangement. Because even though you're the queen in this house, you can't even come to me unless I send for you. Are y'all listening to what's, this is in the Bible. And may I venture to say, this is what a whole lot of marriages look like. It's just an arrangement. It's just convenience. And so now, here's what happened. Y'all know the story. One day he drunk after 180 days of turning up. Y'all know that. And then he added seven more days. And on the seventh day of this drunken party, he said, you know what? <laughs> Y'all go get Vashti for me. Right? Because this is not the day of social media, of Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. People knew stuff because... Like the scripture says, it was noised abroad. Or people took the news back. Oh, man, we saw Vashti. She's absolutely gorgeous. So here's all of his princes. And he's like, man, we heard about how fine your wife is, man. So, oh, oh, that's right. Y'all have never seen her. Vashti, in fact, go get Vashti for me. And what does Vashti say? I ain't coming. Now, up until this time, their whole relationship has been lopsided and based solely on what Xerxes wants. The relationship is not based on affection. It's not based on authenticity. It's just an agreement. And may I, may I suggest to you that, that most of our relationships, because of what culture has taught us, have become contracts instead of covenant. That, that, that's how people enter relationships. Right? Uh, uh, here's the deal. I have my money before you had your money. Oh, no, no. I have my money before I met you. I don't know if this thing going to work. 
So I'm going to marry you, but guess what? I'm going to protect everything that's mine. Let me tell you something. You've already sabotaged the relationship. In fact, the, that relationship is not even per, worth pursuing. If you've already gone into the relationship with a self-preservation mindset, you're about to marry somebody you don't even trust to last through the adversity. Are y'all listening to what I'm saying? The God kind of relationships are not contracts because in contracts we protect our asset, assets and limit our liabilities. Everybody goes into a contract. When you read the fine print, you want to make sure when this thing is all said and done that everything I own, everything with my name on it, everything that belongs to me is protected. If this thing goes down, I ain't going down with it. That's how most of us go into relationships. We're contract-minded. In covenant, when a greater nation would enter covenant with a lesser nation, when two families would marry, usually it was one nation, one family that was stronger and another family or one tribe that was weaker, another tribe that was stronger. And this is what they would say in covenant. It was an eight-point covenant. The first thing they do is they would, cut, they would cut each other and they were shedding of blood. And they made it binding. That's where we get the handshake. Because they would cut each other right here. And when I bled and the person I'm entering into covenant with bled, we would shake hands and their blood would mix with mine. Not only that, they would, they would rub it in so it would make a permanent scar. A permanent reminder that I'm in covenant with you. The next thing they would do is they would bring animals uh, or they would bring a, a, an animal and cut it in half and they would walk around each other and make a figure eight. And this is what it said. May this happen to me if I ever renege on my commitment to you. That's covenant. That's what they did when they got married. Let me die. Let me be cut in half. Let me bleed. If I ever, if I ever back out on you. I'm talking about covenant. In fact, they would go to the next process where they would exchange clothes. And the picture of it is what God does for us. They would exchange robes, they would exchange garments, and they would say, what's mine is yours. They would exchange weapons. You know why they had to exchange weapons? They exchanged weapons for this reason. In exchanging weapons, this is what they were saying. You take my sword and you take my shield. You know what they were saying? Take my sword. I'm powerless to harm you. Now, this is where most of us go into, into relationships with people. I'm going to be your friend. But make sure I'm packing my Glock right here. The first thing they did in Bible times with friendships was they surrendered their weapons of offense. And they said, I'm coming to this relationship, but I'm powerless to harm you. Listen to the next thing they did. Surrender their shield. And in surrendering their shield, they were saying, I'm defenseless against you. That means if you want to take this sword I just gave you, and kill me, I have no defense against you. Now, how many of us go into relationships with our dukes up already? Because it's not motivated by authenticity. It's motivated by our agenda. And people who have agenda-driven motives always enter relationships guarded. It ain't their problem. It's your problem. Because you're the one with the agenda. And you go into the relationship with Duke's up. And God is calling us as Converge, and he is he's inviting us as Converge 
to be the kind of people who love genuinely and authentically. And I'm going to let you jump in. I hear you moaning, baby. You ready to jump in? All right. Yeah, like seven minutes ago. Oh, my I'm bad. Okay, good. come on, baby. Come on, baby. No, jump in. It, it was good. It was good. Okay. Jump in. To go back, well, to stay on the topic of love, I want to just share a few scriptures with you. This was a big deal. We have, uh, we came, we met at uh, Kenneth Hagin Ministries. We were in Bible school together. And uh, one of the marking themes of Brother Hagin's life, uh, most people know him for healing and healing ministry. But having gone to Bible school there, it wasn't just healing. He talked about the love of God as much, if, if not more. Matter of fact, as we prepared for uh, this lesson, I went back into the guest bedroom and I went through all my Brother Hagen books. And here's one book. It's by, it's by Kenneth E. Hagen. If you get Kenneth W. Hagen, that's his son. But Kenneth E. Hagen, it's uh, the name of this book we had to read for one of our classes. It's Love the Way to Victory. And it talks about love. In Romans 5, 5, it says, uh, part B of the scripture, it says, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So the love of God that we are admonishing you to operate in, it's not something that you've got to stir up for yourself. It's not a feeling. When we became Christ followers, Along with the Holy Spirit, one of the things that we, along with the Holy Spirit, one of the things that we received is the love of God. It is already poured in our hearts. Good. So God has already equipped us with the thing he's asking for us to share. Good. The thing about it, though, is we have to push activate. It is not Good. our natural inclination to love. We have been redeemed. Our natural inclination is to protect, to defend. We are born into a sin nature. When we ask Christ to live in our hearts, there is a regeneration of that. And I know uh, one of our Bible school teachers, Keith Moore, he used to uh, tell us this all the time in one of his classes. He said, if you struggle with your love walk, he said, do this for 21 days. Read 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 through 8 for 21 days. Read it in the morning, read it in the evening. Get that word, read it out loud, write it on a index card, put it in your bathroom mirror, put it on your dashboard while you're driving. He encouraged us, the same scripture, well, we you went over the first part, but uh, I think we have um, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 that we'll get to. In 1 Corinthians 14, now, look at Romans 5, 5 says that God has already given us the love that he wants to share. In 1 Corinthians 14, the first verse, it says, pursue this love, the God kind of love, pursue this love with eagerness. Make it your goal. I'm reading from the Amplified Version. Again, that's 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1 in the Amplified. Pursue this love with eagerness. Make it your goal earnestly desire and cultivate not just the spiritual gifts, but your love walk to be used by believers for the benefit of the church. Now, the first thing God is telling us, not just to pursue spiritual gifts. People want to, you know, prophesy words of knowledge, laying on in hands, those things, that's good. But what we'll see in this first Corinthians, and if you think about just the theme of the Bible, pursue love. For God so loved 
the world that he gave. And so uh, based off of our experience, our hurt, our hangups, we can be resistant to wanting to give out this love. If you've been hurt, you've been rejected, you've been abandoned, you've been abused, you're like, "Mm mm-mm, I don't know, I'm good. But God is saying for us to pursue love. And when we place our trust in him, that's the safest place we're going to be. We have to settle. People are going to fail us because they're people. But don't withhold the best part of God in you because of them. Good. You, we have to pray about everything. I have already been praying. When I was pregnant with Nia, with, with Nia I was praying for her husband. Pregnant. Levi and I, ever and his dad too, we'll just get with him. We'll just say, hey, come get into bed with us before he goes to bed. Granddaddy Levi, he doesn't like to sleep in the bed with us. He wants to have his own spot. <laughs> he doesn't like it. Unlike his sister, she stayed in bed with us till she was about 10. But anyway, we'll just pray over him. And we'll pray for his wife. We'll pray for his choices. We'll pray for his friendships. This is not, when we're talking about love, we will equate it a lot to a husband-wife relationship. But it's even in friendships. It's being risky that, yes, I, I'm going to risk going to coffee, feeling awkward, um, do I text her? Does she text me? When I text her, she didn't text me back. All of those things that we go through. But God is saying that we're not to pursue just the relationship. What we are to pursue is God's love in us. Getting that love in us and out of pursuing God's love being activated in us, those things will happen. It will not be a guarantee that you won't get hurt again. But what you can be guaranteed is you will bounce back a lot stronger and, and you can start looking at the fact that maybe it's not that that person just hurt me. What is their story? I have learned the value of that in the last year. It's good. Instead of judging someone's actions, I am more aware of my own flaws and brokenness, and I have my own story. So where my feelings would just be so hurt, my feelings get hurt now, but what I can, I can make my feelings line up fly in a v formation you do what i tell you to do you're not going to run me anymore i make them feelings line up and then i ask myself what is their story it will never hurt me doing what's right and i can never go wrong doing the word and so when we're talking about love i encourage you a practical thing you can do go to that first corinthians 13 verses just go ahead and read verses one through eight I like the amplified version. You turn me on to the message version. I turn you on, baby. Oh, my bad. So, that's, no, no, I'm, no, I'm teasing. No, sorry, sorry. That's all I heard. Amplified, yes, Yeah, ma'am. yeah. A- amen. Yes, ma'am. Amen. Amen. Sorry. It's Dis- all right. Distracted by your beauty. Yes. All right. It's almost Valentine's Day. Valentine's. It's almost Sunday afternoon. Can, can Hang on, in? be strong. Mm-mm. That was a trick so to kind of slide yeah. in there. <laughs> but she got me. Yes. You, did you hear my mm-mm? No. Yes. No okay. in love. In love, love does say no. Love mm-hmm. says no. Not right now. Give All me right. 30 more seconds. So anyway, back to that. A practical thing. Read that First Corinthians. If you struggle with trusting other people, then replace the trust in the people. Put that trust in God. See, when I learn, when I roll the care on it, God, I'm needing you to protect me. I don't want to get my feelings hurt. I need you to, hey, do you see me down here? And so that helps me 
not to put unnecessary pressure and expectation on relationships. Again, I'm not saying you have to be a super person, but read that 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8, and whatever translation, read it twice a day for 21 days. Get the love of God in you because Romans 5, 5 says that God has already put that love in us. And 1 Corinthians 14, 1 says we are to pursue yeah. that love. And if you need a little help, go ahead. You can go to um, rhema.org. You probably could go to Amazon and get Kenneth E. Hagen's book, Love, The Way to Victory. He has a lot of books, but this one, it explains our pursuit. The tag on the back says, make God's love your great quest. It is out of pursuing the love of God in us, cultivating that, sharpening that, growing that, that we can have, uh, we can get on the road and stay on the road of healthy relationships. This is not That's closing. Good. Brother Hagen used to say, as soon as you find yourself out of love, quick, 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 as quick as you can, get back in love. And he likened it to a road. He said, you can be walking down the road of love, something happened to knock you off. When, as soon as you realize you're off the, pad, off the path, as quick as you can, get back on the path to doing what God has called us to do. The end. Very good. No, very good. Very good. Is this helping anybody so far? All right, here, here's the deal. Here, here's what I love about soundtracks. Very good, very good, by the way. And I hope you all heard what Pastor uh, Wendy said about uh, shifting expectations. I think a lot of times we expect people to fulfill us in ways only God can. Sometimes we squeeze people so hard expecting God to jump out and you're just going to get more than. Sometimes what we need is God. And so we have to be able to discern the difference. Am I demanding something of someone that only God can satisfy, that only God can fulfill? Critically important. What I love about soundtracks is soundtracks usually are written around key scenes in the movie. One of the tricky things about human interactions is sometimes the music changes. I hope y'all caught that. Because one minute, man, you can be living your life like it's golden. And all of a sudden, the music stops and the music changes. Oh, my wife said it turned to Jaws. And what most of us aren't prepared for, what most of us don't anticipate, is what to do when the music changes. Listen to me. I'm talking to grown folk in this room. You have all experienced those moments when the music changed. Ah, And some of us have a difficult time making those shifts when the music changes. Xerxes had a hard time making the shift when the music changed in his house. You see, the soundtrack he was used to or the song he was used to, Vashti, I need you, get over here right now. Vashti showed up. And when it didn't happen, he couldn't adjust to the music changing. And listen, listen, he writes her off, he banishes her from the kingdom, right? And then a few days, weeks later, he begins to regret his decision. That's what we picked up in Esther chapter 2, and it says that Xerxes remembered Vashti and what he had done to her. And so he's in this, in this state of depression, and his advisors come to him and say, okay, we're going to fix this. This is what we're going to do. Y'all, y'all remember that? We're going we're to have this beauty pageant, and you have this 127 province kingdom that stretches from Ethiopia to India. Listen to that. 
and we're going to do this beauty pageant. And the most beautiful women from Ethiopia to India are going to show up. And one of them is going to replace Vashti. Remember what we said last week? That sometimes when the music changes and we have a wound, instead of dealing with the wound, we resort to excess. So now he's missing one woman, Vashti. Now he's about to fix that wound with every beautiful woman from India to Ethiopia. Let me tell you the problem with, with, with Xerxes. The problem was, if you miss in Vashti, go make it right with Vashti. Don't have Miss Universe in order to fix what you're missing from Vashti. And that's the problem with most of us now. We write people off, and again, this was the law of the Medes and Persians, so it was irrevocable, but guess what? You're still the king. You can write another law that trumps that one if you miss her that much. Listen, the fix was not a beauty pageant. The fix was reconciliation with Vashti. Are y'all listening to me? And most of us, we look for a different remedy in relationships instead of fixing the severed relationship. And let me tell you what the problem is. The problem is sometimes we're unwilling to confront the issue. But confrontation ain't a bad thing. Let me tell you what the word confrontation means. It simply means to come face to face. To con together face to face. I think I was saying, let's just unpack it just for a second, confrontation. Uh, the reason why we're saying put more expectation on God than you do on people I think what holds us back from a confrontation or from facing something that could be uncomfortable, one book calls it a crucial conversation, I think a lot of times we can be afraid of what the other person is going to say about us to us. We, um, and we can take it so far like, they're not about to check me and tell me about myself. But when our life is rooted and grounded in God no matter what they say it can hurt it can sting but they don't get to define you so a part of our spiritual maturity is not shying away from those difficult conversations even in a difficult conversation if somebody just kind of goes off then you could just lift your eyebrows up and real high and say I'm here for us to deal with this. If this is not a good time for you, then we can revisit it at a later date. As opposed to, you ain't finna sit up here and check me in my face. I ain't even all about that. You, we, you, could, talk, you could call somebody else and tell them that. But for that person, a part of, because sometimes when people confront us, when we have that confrontation, sometimes it can really be true. It may not be presented really nice, and it can hurt. But if we face confrontation with knowing who we are, I belong to God. In facing that confrontation, saying, hey, I want to see how we can get on the same page. You can preface before you get there and just say, if it's not a good time for you to speak before you even get through the confrontation, let me know when it's a good time for you to talk. 
And sometimes people will be who they are, but that's when you have to go down what is true. I faced a situation a few months ago. Uh, I checked on somebody. Hey, how are you doing? And I thought I was checking on them really out of love. And when I tell you they checked my chin, y'all. When I tell you, I mean, I went, you know how you just go. I just went, you know, with a box of chocolate and some tissue. How are you doing? And I'm sitting right there. We're sitting knee to knee. And I'm thinking I'm doing a great thing. And they were like, well, I don't even believe this about you. And I can't even believe you ain't do this for me. And I just, I mean, for 20 minutes. So I lifted my eyebrows really high. And I said, I am so sorry about that. And I am sorry that I have not been what you needed me to be. We can talk about this later. Is it okay if we just talk about it later? And then I left. I mean, you know how you have to get hurry up and get to the car. I got to the car and I called Pastor Ray. I said, I went with my box of chocolate figuratively and my tissue. And she done just checked me for 20 minutes. I can't believe it. And I'm like, okay. I did this, we did this, we did this, and I went down my what is true list. And guess what? I didn't go back. Of course, I think in hindsight, she gives me a call and says, you know, sometimes people can't say I'm sorry, they have to go all around it. And we talked through, but I had to know what was true. Because if I didn't already know what was true, then my feelings would be hurt and I would be mad today. And I would be holding her feet to the fire, being responsible for my emotional health when it's not her responsibility at all. Can I be mature enough that she could just get all of that off her chest and I still know what is true? And she couldn't define me. When people are hurt, they are hurt. And they are hurting. And that's why I took chocolates and a box of tissue. She is hurting. Did it hurt me? It stung. But I know what is true. And my hope is built on nothing less. But Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Even though I got comfort from my husband, he couldn't give me what I needed. I needed to know, God, am I well with you? Am I well with you? He was a sounding board, but I had to be okay with God. This is what I did. This is what my heart motive was. And can I be strong enough that they can let that off and I can move on? And not move on, be done with it, but just move on in a healthy way. Have you ever been checked in your face? I mean, you know, it's one thing to hear somebody talk about you, and it's one thing to be checked on the phone, but to sit face-to-face with a gift in your hand. And so if, my, if I wasn't already in the practice of making my emotions line up, I would be mad and I would be giving her name right now. And I would still have an attitude and I would be thinking, I don't know who she thinks she is. Thank God she trusted me enough. I learned from it. I did learn some things from it. And so what we're encouraging you to do in the confrontation is sometimes people will just be wrong 90 miles to Sunday. They'll just be wrong. But in our health, if I, could, if I saw her in the Kroger right now, we can still have a healthy relationship because I'm healthy in God. I haven't always been there. So this love walk is not just with 
uh, with your children and with the spouse. It's with other people around you. And we have to go to God. I don't care how much Ray affirmed me. I would have been crushed in the depths of my soul if I didn't know what was true and I didn't know who God was. So in confrontation, it can be very hard because we fear what the person is going to say to us about us. But be a person, the love of God. See, we're supposed to pursue this love of God in us. That gives us strength. It doesn't mean you keep going back. We ain't, I ain't taking no more chocolate and tissue. That's fine. I'm, I, I, heard, I heard you. I heard Come you. On. I will send a Come card on. in the mail and put a right. little check in there. I will do that, and I have done it. We're not sitting down needing need no more. I, my belly is full. You know, you could just read. I have reached my, you know, you have your pain threshold. Ah! She tapped out. Boom. We're good. We're good. We're good. But the love walk is still intact. The love is still intact. The prayers will continue to go forth. And I learned something. She wasn't all the way wrong. It will shape how I approach another situation like that. She went all the way right, but she wasn't all the way wrong. So confrontation can make us afraid to hear about ourselves. But let's put on our big girl panties and big boy underclothes and just say, you know what? Jesus loves me. The thing is pursuing we God's wear, love. We wear khakis. Jake from State Farm. <laughs> what are you wearing, Jake from State Farm? Khakis. Can I jump in here? Okay, we're going to let y'all go. Check this out. We didn't even, all of that was just an introduction, y'all. I really wanted to talk about Esther. Didn't even get to Esther. Look, it's a cliffhanger. Excuse me. We're going to get to Esther, but check this out. Check this out. Mm -hmm. What's your life song? What does your life sound like to the people you interact and engage with? And again, I got to go back to, to, again, we're going to get to Esther, but Xerxes, his unwillingness to reconcile and confront. Sometimes, like Pastor Wendy said, it is our fear of what someone might say to us. That's one of the toughest things, man, to hear somebody tell you about yourself. Can I tell you that's what we call blind spots? That there are things about me that are, that are obvious to everyone else that I'm oblivious to? And that's what friends do. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to close. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. One of the reasons, again, beyond just, well, I think it re really reinforces this whole idea of being afraid of what people are going to say. Y'all ready for this one? Uh, can you put this on the screen and I'm going to let y'all go. Proverbs 27 and verse 6. Proverbs 27 and verse 6. Notice what it says. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Listen to me. Listen to me. Most of us gravitate to people who kiss in us and we have no idea the deceit in those kisses. We reject people who will be truthful to us because it's hard hearing it going in. Listen to me. If they are your friend, give them permission to speak honestly to you. I'm telling you, most of us have unhealthy attachments. They ain't friends because they're really a friend. Their wounds would be faithful. That means when they confront me and I confront them, we can have the honest conversation. Listen to me. Listen, listen. Here it is. Here it is. Not everything that hurts is harmful. It may hurt to hear you, to hear it. 
but it is, in fact, helpful. If any of you have ever been to physical therapy after an injury, you know that it hurts, but is it harmful? It ain't harmful. It hurts, but it's helpful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And I keep trying to say that most of us now can't handle this because all we want to do is be around people who go kiss us in spite of their deceit. Jesus was betrayed with a kiss. All right. So, whoo. Here it is from the Amplified Version, and then I'm going to send you all home. Proverbs 27 and verse 6 from the Amplified. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend who corrects out of love and concern. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful because they serve a hidden agenda. I'm talking about authenticity in our relationships. Paul said, if we're motivated by an agenda that is something other than care and concern, our life song, our soundtrack has become nothing but noise. So my prayer is that Converge Church will be known for doing relationships well. Will be known for doing relationships well. And that our soundtrack will not be one of hypocrisy, one of manipulation or deception. It will be authenticity because we are genuinely concerned and invested in our brother and our sister. Are y'all with me? Next week, check this out. Next week, we're going to pick up with Esther. We're going to pick up with Esther. I promise. I promise we're going to pick up with Esther. Because Esther gives us the blueprint for how to respond when the music changes. For how to respond to life and to relationships when the music changes. It's going to be a game changer. Let's pray. Let's pray. And I pray that as we pray, God will, will just tug and nudge on your heart as we pray. Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name.